Um, that first song that we just sang, it was a new song for us, but it's a scripture passage that many of us know. And I thought we should begin today, Palm Sunday, by reading this together. We don't often do this as a community, but it's good to read scripture together. And so um, many of you are very familiar with this passage of scripture. It's Jesus talking, and he's the one who's speaking uh, and he's uh, speaking in this, the context of someone who's asking a lot of questions and trying to figure out who Jesus is. And so I thought, let's, let's read this together. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Are you ready? Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Now that's good news. That's good news. That for God so loved the world, and you know, he doesn't make distinctions there. He doesn't say, for God so loved this group or that group. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And sometimes when we think about a father sending someone, we think like punishment, but listen to what he says. He didn't send Jesus to condemn us, but rather to save us. And that's good news. That's good news. And I want you to hear that today on this Palm Sunday. If you miss everything else, don't miss this, that God loves you and Christ came not to condemn you, but rather to save you. That God sent Jesus into the world not to condemn us or so that we might feel shame, but so that we might find freedom to save us from the challenges of life. And so Palm Sunday, today, we begin this, what we call Holy Week. Today is going to be a little different. We're going to... We're going to journey with Jesus through the week uh, just a little bit. I'm going to tell you some stories, and we're going to mix it in with some songs. We're going to uh, take communion together today. And so when we sing one of these songs, um, if you didn't pick up communion when you walked into the room, uh, you can slip out from your seat and go grab communion. There's a table in the back with little uh, communion packets. If you're online, uh, you can just kind of slip away from your couch and go grab some juice or water and crackers or whatever you need to get, Cheerios, and you can take communion with us. You can use whatever. It's what it represents, right? It's not about the actual elements. And so we're going to walk together through this, and Jesus is going to be at the center. Holy Week usually consists of four focuses. There's Palm Sunday, which is today. There's Maundy Thursday, uh, which is Thursday creative name, Monday, Thursday. There's Good Friday, which is Friday. Friday. I'm just making sure you're tracking with me. Not a trick question. And then there's Resurrection Sunday, which is Easter. Next Sunday, which we're going to get excited about, I hope. And uh, so Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday. Have you ever wondered why they call it Monday, Thursday? Have you ever wondered what Monday means? Monday comes from the Latin word, I think, um, uh, of command. And Jesus gave his disciples a command on that Thursday, and his command was to love one another. So Monday, Thursday is the idea that Jesus gave the command to love one another on that Thursday, and we're going to see what that looks like um, today. 
Uh, in the middle of Luke, the, the, the Gospel of Luke, so Luke is comprised of a bunch of Jesus stories. And in the very middle, chapter 9, there's a verse that says this, that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus knew his mission was in Jerusalem, and kind of the culmination of all that he had been teaching and doing and the miracles and the lives that were being changed, he would, he would find his full purpose in Jerusalem when he gave his life up for all of humanity. So he sets out for Jerusalem. And today, Palm Sunday, is the day we celebrate him entering into Jerusalem for this final week. And Scripture says this, that when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along this path, praising God for all the miracles they had seen. And they were shouting, Hosanna, blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, if you've been around church for, for very long, I remember this as a kid. Um, in many churches, they send kids through the aisles on Palm Sundays with palm branches, and usually they're whacking people accidentally or each other, and they become swords that they're fighting with. But did you ever go to a church where they did the palm branch thing? Some of you, yeah. And if you didn't grow up in church, you're like, I don't even know what that looks like. But they would bring the kids in, and they would sing songs that used the word Hosanna, and they'd kind of come through the aisles waving the palm branches, trying to create that moment that Jesus was riding in to Jerusalem. So I want to try to get us there just for a second. And um, sometimes pictures help. And just over a year ago, there was a group of us in Israel uh, right before the pandemic struck, and we were on the top of the Mount of Olives on our first day in Jerusalem. This is how we began our trip in Israel. And this is a little panoramic that I took um, uh, standing on the top of Mount of Olives. Now, it's, it's a little difficult to imagine Jesus' day, but there were a lot of things that wouldn't have been there. Most of the things outside of the city gate, you can see the, the walls of the city, most of that would not have existed as we see it here. The high rises obviously wouldn't have been there. The mosque in the middle wouldn't have been there. These tombs all along this hillside wouldn't have been there. But you can see the drop in elevation from where we're standing down into the Kidron Valley, which is main walkway. You see what I'm what I'm talking about a little bit? Now, some of you love this kind of history and map stuff, and some of you are like, oh, I'm going to check out for a minute. I'll call you back when, when we're done with the map. But you see the Kidron Valley, um, and then that, just this side of the walls of Jerusalem, you'll see a bunch of little smaller walls and then some more tombs. None of that would have been there. This would have been the path that Jesus took a number of times this week. He stayed most of the time out in Bethany, which was just kind of over this hill, as he entered into Jerusalem. So he comes to the top of this hill, and he looks over Jerusalem, and Scripture says he actually weeps over Jerusalem. Do you remember this? He weeps over Jerusalem because he knows what's coming, and he longs for the people of Jerusalem, you know, God's holy people, to, to lean into God's Messiah the Savior of the world. And so as he heads down this hill, probably just over to the right of where I'm, I'm standing here, um, he kind of heads down this pathway. That's where people would have been waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. Hosanna literally means save us. And so when they were crying out, Hosanna, save us, 
what they were thinking of, what their expectation of the Messiah was, that the Messiah would be a political military ruler who would save them from Rome, these oppressors, these foreign oppressors who had come in and taken their land. And so when they were crying, save us, and the palm branches were kind of seen as a, as a nationalistic symbol and, and throwing those down before Jesus, and he rides in on a donkey instead of a, on a stallion, which is the sign of a king. He rides in on a donkey, which is about this humility that Jesus is showing in the world. And, oh, what a picture for us to be a people of humility in, in a world that, that proclaims power, how important power is and positions of power. Jesus rides into town on a humble donkey. And um, comes down the mountain, then up into the city. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, start yelling at Jesus, you got to tell your people to shut up. And I don't know if you remember what they say is, if we don't cry out, the, the rocks will proclaim. You know, we must, we must celebrate our king who is here. What's interesting about this day, this Sunday, Palm Sunday, which is the day we, we celebrate the, the palm branches and all of that, um, is also in the first century, this would have been the day that all the, the Jewish people were coming to, to, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover meal, and this was the day they would have chosen the lamb that would be sacrificed later in the week. And Jesus is making a huge statement by coming into town on this Sunday. He's saying, I'm the lamb who will take away all the sins of the world. Now, that's some good news too right there. That should make you smile, right? And um, I was just thinking about this day, and, and I was thinking about the expectations and sometimes the demands I place on God or what I expect Jesus to do in my life. And I, and I realized that it's sometimes the expect, expectations or the demands that I have of Jesus need to change before I, ca I can experience the life he wants me to experience. You know what I mean? And I wonder for you this week, as you anticipate Easter, Resurrection Day once again, if there are some expectations that need to be reworked in your life so that you can experience what Jesus truly brings to you. So before Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, there's this little story that, um, that, that Jesus interacts in a town called Jericho. You've probably heard of Jericho before. And interesting, the layout of the, ge the geography and, and everything, um, uh, Jericho is actually like 800 feet below sea level, and uh, Jerusalem's like 2,500 feet above sea level, and it's the path that Jesus would have taken, uh, and so he would have been, you know, way down in this city and then had to climb that for that 20 mile, about 20 miles uh, up to Jerusalem to get to Jerusalem, and so he's on his way, and he's interacting with people on his way, and he's, he's in Jericho, and there's this crazy story I remember uh, from Sunday school as a kid, and you're going to remember this, and I, I'll just see if we can together piece this together, the, the, the story. Um, Zacchaeus was a, and a wee little man was he. 
He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed the day, he looked up in the... And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. Now, some of you are like, is this a cult? <laughs> like, I have no idea what's going on. There's no words on the screen, and they're singing this weird song about Zacchaeus. So this is the story. It's a crazy story. So Jesus is passing through Jericho, and there's a man named Zacchaeus. Um, we teach these songs to our kids, which is awesome, because then they remember the stories. That's why we do that. Um, so he's passing through Jericho. There's a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector in this entire region. And scripture makes it very clear he's rich. He has a lot of money. And he has some friends. And he has pretty much everything that you would think and I would think would make him happy in, in the world. He's got money. He's got security. He's got a position. He's got friends. He's got a house. He's good, right? We would think he's good. But he knows, like many of us know, that those things don't always fulfill us, that there are still some things missing from life, even when we have money and power and success and family and all of those things. Sometimes there's some, something missing. And so Zacchaeus knows something's missing, and so he goes and he climbs up in a sycamore tree, a fig tree, and he wants to just see Jesus passing. And the reason we say he's a wee little man is because Scripture gives us that detail, that he's short and he can't see over the crowd to see Jesus, so he has to climb up in a tree so he can see Jesus. Um, anybody, can anybody relate? Some of you are like, that's mean. Don't make short jokes today. I might leave. So he climbs up in the tree. He's looking. Jesus comes by, and I want you to hear this. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to fulfill the purpose that he was given. He's on his way to, to the purpose that God gave him, and he sees a man in a tree who just wants to get a glimpse of him. And he stops the parade. And I want you to hear this because I want you to know that no matter where you are in life, when you turn yourself toward God, Jesus sees you. Like Jesus sees you. You're not invisible, you're not hidden, you're not camouflaged. That if you'll just turn toward God, like Jesus will often stop because he sees you. And that's good news for all of us, that none of us go unnoticed in the world. And he invites Zacchaeus down out of the tree. And not only that, he, he does something that many of us would consider a little bit rude. He says, I'm coming to your house today. Like, I don't know if you've cleaned, put things away. It doesn't matter. Like, we're going to have a party at your house. And he goes to Zacchaeus's house, and he finds that Zacchaeus not only opens the door of his home, but he opens the door of his life. And Jesus radically transformed. He flips the script of Zacchaeus's life. And Zacchaeus says, I'm not just going to repay uh, what I took unfairly from people, I'll repay double. Like he is so transformed that he just wants to make right all the wrong that he's done. Jesus redeems him. And um, 
I was writing out some thoughts, and I just said, when we open the doors of our lives to the presence of Jesus, our entire, our entire world can take on new life and joy and peace and hope and all of those things that God wants us to experience. And so um, as we walk through this week, this holy week, man, my prayer is that we would turn back to God and that we would just open the door of our lives. And I think Jesus stops, he sees us, and he enters in, and he begins to rearrange all that's going on within us. And so we come to, uh, we come to Thursday of Holy Week, and um, my, my tradition of churches when I was growing up did this really weird, you think we're a cult because we sing that Zacchaeus song, wait till you hear this. Um, we, we would gather on that Thursday of Holy Week almost every year, and we would, um, don't run, we would we'd get in a circle, not a lot of people came to this service because it was a little strange, but we'd get in a circle and um, we'd get a little basin of water, and we'd kneel in front of someone else and we'd wash their feet. And we did it every year. And it was strange. <laughs> As a kid, you know, just strange, just weird. Like, why? My feet are clean, pretty much. And I knew that people actually washed their feet before they came to the service where we washed each other's feet. And that was kind of weird because it was like they didn't want, you know, fungus and stuff in their toes. And it was kind of weird. And you have to read the story to see what was going on that the Savior of the universe, the one who redeems all of us, the one who deserves all of our, our praise and our songs and our singing and our thoughts and our attention and our affection, the one who, who deserves all of that literally knelt in front of each one of his disciples as a servant and washed their feet which might not seem like much to us in our world today, but in that world, that was reserved for only servants to do. And so Jesus knelt, and he washed the feet of each one of his disciples. And it says that he was showing the full extent of his love. Now, what does that mean, that he was showing the full extent of his love? I think it means that, that love is fully expressed when we as humans humble ourselves before one another and serve each other. Does that make sense? That the full extent of love, the greatest expression of love, I was doing a, a wedding yesterday and I've, I've been thinking about this concept that love in marriage, the full extent of love in marriage, lo love is expressed in the way that we serve one another in that relationship. That we humble ourselves and put the other above our own needs and desires. Does that, does that make sense? And so that's what Jesus did. Like Jesus, the Savior, knelt and he humbled himself in this way. He began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. And then he said to them, you are to do the same thing. 
Monday, Thursday, the command, love one another as I have loved you. And sometimes I think we should reinstitute, we've done it on occasion here at McGow, we should reinstitute the practice of washing one another's feet. Some of you are sliding down in your chair just a little bit. Like, are we about to do something like that? Because of the power of humility and practical service for one another. So um, in the next few minutes, as we think about that final night um, when, when Jesus is with his disciples and he's sharing the Passover meal, he, he flips the script on the Passover meal and he gives it some new meaning. And um, I want to show you just a quick video to give us a little bit more understanding about some of the, the idea of Passover and then communion, which we'll take together in just a couple of minutes. Um, powerful video. Check this out. For more than 400 years, God's people were enslaved in Egypt, subjected to the cruel oppression of Pharaoh, until God sent his servant Moses with these words, let my people go. But Pharaoh would not relent, so God gave his people strange instructions. In the fading twilight, each home was to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, and they were to kill it. And once the blood was spilled, they were to take some of it and spread it on the door frames of their houses. dark of night, death visited every house in the land of Egypt. But the houses that were covered in the blood were untouched. Death passed over those places. As the sun rose over Egypt, God's people were finally set free. But there was still another kind of slavery. Because all of us are subject to the cruel oppression of sin. So, many hundreds of years after Moses, God sent his own son to declare, let my people go. And on the cross, Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God was killed. His blood was spilled. And for those who believe, that blood marks us. And for that reason, death has passed over us. For when Jesus rose from the dead, the power of death and sin was broken. been set free.
You know, there, I'm so thankful for technology. I'm thankful for the, the technology to be able to stream and do all of those things. It's been super helpful in the last year. But there's, there's something about the gathered people in a room together singing to Jesus, right? I mean, there's just something about being together. And um, I just want you to know I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you're here today. And um, I, 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 hope, I hope today becomes a day that you can, you can thank God for the goodness that he has given you through Jesus. That's what I hope uh, we're able to do, both together, but then also as you leave this place a little bit later. I hope, I hope you take that with you. Now, when you walked in, you, you probably picked one of these up or someone handed you one, and if you didn't, you can grab one on your way out. Um, it's just some information about things that are going on in the church, so if you're new or if you've been away for a while and you're ready to kind of take some steps back into the church, this might be helpful to help you uh, do just that. And if you're online this morning, it's so good to have you with us. Uh, McDowell.church slash Easter. There's a digital version of this. And uh, we'd love to know that you're here. Use that chat bar online. And in the room, uh, if you're new, there's a place you can let us know that you were here today. We'd love to know it. Um, but really, the most important part uh, that you could give us is if there's anything that you're walking through in life that you need prayer for, you, your family, your loved ones, it would be an honor to pray for you and just to support you in that way. So let us know how we can pray for you on that card um, that's in here. We got all kinds of things coming up. Like I said, Bible studies, connections, there's a women's event, there's a, uh, there's a golf outing that's coming up, there's camps this summer uh, for kids and students. So don't miss, uh, don't miss any of, of those things that are in there. Okay. So... Um, I was thinking this week and this morning, we were out uh, on, the, on the West Lawn and the amphitheater this morning. It was awesome. It was beautiful out there. It makes me want to take the roof off. We almost took the roof off in that first song accidentally, but um, I was thinking today across the globe, there are millions, literally millions of people that gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That's the focus. That's why they get together. I mean, and, and I'm not exaggerating. I know sometimes pastors exaggerate and tell stories that are grander, and some of you look at me like, eh, that didn't maybe happen that way. But there are literally millions of people today who gather to celebrate an event that took place a couple thousand years ago, the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, there's skeptics among us and people who are like, I don't know, I mean, I get it. I've heard the story, I'm not, I'm not sure, which I totally understand, I get that. It's tough uh, to believe that there was a dead person who was raised to life. You know, it's, it's, that's difficult to believe. Um, now, I, I started thinking about other powerful people in the days of Jesus. Have you ever heard of Caesar Augustus? Have you heard that name, Caesar Augustus? I was thinking it's the day that we get together to cel celebrate Caesar Augustus every year, that day that is marked because of what he achieved and accomplished, I was thinking that, well, there's not a day for Caesar Augustus. And in fact, the reason most of us know the name Caesar Augustus is because he was but a footnote in the story of Jesus. People do not gather across the globe to celebrate even the most powerful political leaders 2,000 years ago. Think about after Caesar Augustus, Nero. Have you ever heard of Nero? Nero is brutal. 
I mean, we know him as, as one of the most brutal emperors of all time. And in Rome, he burned Christians at the stake. And the reason we know Nero today is because of his intersection with people who claim to know and follow Jesus Christ, not because of what he accomplished as an emperor. Isn't that crazy? We don't gather to celebrate anyone else 2,000 years after they lived, died, and were resurrected, but we do Jesus. And so let me say this from the beginning. Don't miss Jesus today. It's what Easter is all about. Now, I love the photo booth. It's awesome, isn't it? I love that once a year we do a donut wall from Bosa. They're my favorite. Cameron is so kind to bring me an apple fritter and put it on my desk on Easter Sunday every year. Uh, it's awesome. Um, sometimes we get new clothes for Easter. Some of you are looking dapper today. It's awesome. I see some new shirts in the room. I got a new shirt. Robin approved it. She did not approve of the upper button being buttoned, but I thought it would be good. I'm going to do it anyway. You all look marvelous. But Easter, all of that is a footnote and so temporary compared to the truth that Jesus died and was resurrected for us. And that, my friends, is the good news that we celebrate on Easter. So if you miss everything else, don't miss it. Don't miss Jesus today. Because Jesus changes everything. Um, I was kind of writing some ideas and some thoughts, and I wrote this down, that Easter, in my view, Easter is the eternal flame that reminds us every year. It's that eternal flame. It's this, it comes again and again and again. It's an eternal flare that God sent to remind, to demonstrate and proclaim his unfailing love for each one of us in this room. Don't just point at someone else and say God's love for that. No, no, like Easter is God's demonstration and proclamation that he loves you. Each one of you in this room, God loves. And it doesn't matter where you've been and what you've been up to. It does not negate the fact that God loves you as his child, his son or his daughter. And there's nothing that you can do to get away from that kind of love. Now, come on, that's some good news. You should smile. At least put a smile on your face. I mean, that's what this is all about. And not only is it a reminder and demonstration and proclamation. Listen, it's also this. It's an invitation to come home. It's an invitation for all of us to come home once again. And I don't know where you are today, and I don't know what you've been up to, but I do know this, that through Christ, God has been pursuing you out of his love for you, and he desperately wants you to be a part of his family. And that, my friends, is good news for every single one of us. Now, when we get together on Easter, we normally open up the stories of the resurrection of Jesus, and we talk about those stories, which are awesome. You should read that today. But I'm gonna not talk about those stories right now. Um, I'm gonna do something different. I wanna tell you a story that Jesus told because I think it is an unbelievable picture and an unbelievable challenge for each one of us if we will open ourselves to it. And it's a story most of you have heard before. 
In fact, you might kind of zone out once I start telling the story, but I'm going to beg you to stay in tune just a little bit longer. So can we, can we walk through the story together? Would you be okay with that just for a little bit? And then you can get your pictures and your donuts and button your top button or not. It doesn't matter to me. Are you with me? Okay. Now, it's a story that is told, that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. And if you open up your Bible, you'll find that there's often headings to stories that Jesus tells. Those weren't in the original. And so someone like made those up, those titles, and I think they missed it on this. Am I allowed to say that? I think they made a little mistake. The story, we know it as the prodigal son. Have you ever heard that? Which means the lost son. And so I renamed the story this morning. So here's the name I would give the story. The loving father and the two lost sons. The loving father and the two lost sons. And I think Jesus tells this story for a couple of different reasons. I think he wants us to get a better glimpse of our heavenly father, number one. And I think he wants us to get a better glimpse of ourselves. And I think if you look hard enough, you're going to find yourself in the story. Are you ready for this? Okay, so a man had two sons, thus the name, a loving father, and his two lost sons. He had two sons, an older son and a younger son. That's usually what happens when you have two. There's an older one and a younger one. I'll be here all week. And the younger son went to his father, and he, and he said, Dad, you know, you're getting older, but it still may be a while. So I'd like my share of the inheritance before you die, which is just a little rude, you know, don't you think? Just a little rude. But the father in the story is so loving. His father agrees to divide his wealth between the two sons. He divides it up, he gives it to his two sons. The younger son decides that he, he wants to leave home, so he takes off. And just for contextual understanding, he decides to leave Phoenix and, you know, where would he go to spend all this money that he has? Where do you think he would go? Vegas, Vegas. yes, because what happens in Vegas? See, that's a lie. It doesn't, and you know it. (laughs) Your money stays in Vegas, but that's about it. Anyway, he goes to Vegas, and he parties. He takes all this money, the inheritance that his father gives him, and he gambles it, throws wild parties, all kinds of crazy stuff. And when he runs out of money, he quickly realizes that all the people that were around him that he thought were his friends have disappeared. And he finds himself all alone with no friends, no family, and no home. Maybe some of you feel like that today. Like you've, you've wandered off, and some of you maybe feel like, gosh, I, I'm far from what I considered would be home. And, and maybe you're starting to see yourself in this story. So the son, uh, this younger son, after he spent all of his money, nobody's around, he has to start looking for a job. And the only job he can find is on a farm. And the only job on this farm is to feed pigs, which for Jews is like the dirtiest thing that you can do. It's just horrendous. So he begins feeding pigs for a living. Again, no home, no people, no money. He's feeding the pigs 
he's longing for the food that they're eating. I mean, have you ever found yourself in this setting where you're just like, you're at the bottom of the bottom? Sometimes the bottom is the best place we can be. Amen? Don't you, don't you think sometimes the bottom is the best place you can be? Because it's there where God often finds us and lifts us up. So he's at the bottom, and I love this next line in the story. When he finally came to his senses, this kid is like feeding pigs and like he wants their food because he's hungry and he comes to his senses and he says to himself, in my dad's household back in Phoenix, he has servants that he treats better than I'm treated. They have plenty of food. They have a shelter over their head at night. It's, it's awesome. And maybe if I went back and maybe if I got the speech right, you know, dad, I'm so sorry. I... I've sinned against you, I'm, I, like I've made a mess, I've embarrassed the family name, I, you know, I don't deserve to be here, I know, I know, I'll do whatever you want me to, just give me a position and a place. You know what I mean? Like he goes, he re- rehearses it. Have you ever said something you wish you could take back and then you start rehearsing the speech? Have you ever been married? <laughs> and like all the way home, you're like rehearsing the speech like, okay, I gotta say this, and then I'll say this, and then she'll maybe say this, and so then I'll say this. And, and so he's like walking from, uh, from Vegas to, to Phoenix, and as he's, he's like rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing. He's returning home, and he thinks he's gonna encounter an angry father who's gonna enslave him. Look at this. While he was still a long way off, His father saw him coming, which means his father was watching and waiting. Come on. I mean, that's the kind of God that we have, who's watching and waiting for every single one of us. And God is not waiting for the speech that we've rehearsed, because none of our speeches are good enough. Filled with, come on, here he is. This is God. He's filled with what? Love and compassion. I love that line too. He's filled with love and compassion. He runs to his son. His son falls to the ground and begins the speech. I've embarrassed you. I've embarrassed our family. I was, you know, I'll, I'll just work. Yeah, I'm not a son, whatever. His father, out of love and compassion, picks him up, surrounds him with his arms. He kisses him. He puts a ring on his finger, which signifies that he has a place in the home, that he has a position as a member of the family. He puts sandals on his feet and a robe over him because he's a mess. And the father begins to bring him and starts yelling out, hey, we need to have a party. Matt's going to bring macaroni and cheese. We've got artichoke dip coming. Spaghetti, we got all kinds of good stuff, but I'll tell you what, you know that, you know the, the calf we've been kind of fattening for the right time? It's time. We're going to have a party, because my son, who was lost, is now found. My son, who was dead, is now alive, and a party begins. Don't you love that about God? He's the God of parties. And this is where most of us go, that's an awesome story, The prodigal son comes home, God loves him, and you know, if any of those people out there in the world would ever come home, they might find that from God. They wouldn't find it from me, but they might find it from God. You know what I mean? Because I'm going to tell them what they're doing wrong. We stop the story right here. Like, this is it. That's good. That's why it's called the prodigal son. 
But there's another son in the story. Do you remember the second son, the older son? Check this out. So the older son was out in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and he heard dancing. Now that's some kind of a party if you can hear dancing. It's like the first song we started with when Joe was jumping up and down. I was like, whoa. Like he heard dancing. He sends some of the servants ahead and he says, we go find out what's going on. This is crazy. There's a big party and I wasn't invited. And so they come back and they're like, your brother is home. And dad's throwing a party for your brother. Now, can you imagine how you would respond to your brother or sister who had gone to Vegas and blown everything? Your dad threw a party? Are you kidding me? I mean, you would stand like this. That's why I'm standing like this, because that's how I would stand. (laughs) You'd be like, seriously? I'm not going to that party. The son refused to enter in. He wouldn't go into the party. He stood on the outside. But look look how good God is. God sees him too. See, this son was lost because he believed he had earned his seat at the table. He failed to recognize that it was God's table, God's house, God's provision, God's fields. He thought he was good enough. Look at the father. The father runs outside and begs him, son, all that I have is yours. You remember this part? Like, everything that I have is yours. You've always been with me. But our son who was lost is now found and he was dead and he's now alive. Like, we've got to throw a party for him. It's amazing. And then Jesus ends the story. And I'm like, well, what happened, Jesus? He's like, it's just a parable. It didn't really happen. And I'm like, but I want to know what happened. Don't you want to know what happens with the older brother? Like, did he put his arms down or did he just stand? (laughs) And I think what Jesus was doing is I think he was identifying every single one of us as one of the brothers, one of the kids. See, some of us have wandered off the path and we've drifted far from home and we need to you know, be awakened to something so that we might return home again. But listen, there's many of us in this room who have been around church our entire lives. And we have the tendency to to believe that our standing is God's response to our behavior. Now, come on. I know that's uncomfortable. I see myself in that, that big brother so often. I've been pretty good. I've never done what they do. I mean, the Ten Commandments, don't murder, I've got that one down. (laughs) I think Jesus is just like getting after our tendency to get lost in this world. And all of us, all of us have been lost. Every single one of us. Um, Paul, for the early church, is trying to work this out in the way that he's, um, the way that he's writing uh, to new Christians. And he says this, um, for God, in all of his fullness, so in, in God's fullness, 
was pleased to live in Christ. In other words, um, God fully dwelled in the person of Jesus. And through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. No one excluded from that. The younger brother, the older brother. The younger sister, the older sister. No, no one excluded from what's been reconciled to Christ. We've all needed it because we've all been lost. And God has taken care of it through Christ. It says this, he made peace with everything by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Sometimes we're like, what is the cross? I mean, it just seems so barbaric. Like, why? Like, what was going on there? And there is a great mystery to the beauty of what happened on the cross and, and the, the brutality of what happened on the cross. But Paul, in trying to help us understand, he said, this was God's way of making up for the difference, the lostness that we all have, so that we could be at peace with him. And he goes on, he says, this includes you who were once far away. And if you're like me, sometimes you read that and you're like, I've never been that far away. To which I think God would say, probably farther than you think. You know what I mean? Probably farther than you think. You were separated. You were his enemies because of your evil thoughts and actions. Whether you wandered off thinking you could find a better life somewhere else or if you wandered off thinking that your behavior gave you the place at the table. Yet now, here's the good news, yet now he has reconciled us all to himself through Christ. And as a result, we can enter into the party, the dinner party, we all have a seat at the table, and we are holy and blameless, but not because of our perfection, because none of us are perfect, right? But only as we stand before him without a single fault in Christ because of what Christ did on Easter. I mean, there's just so much here. There's so much beauty here. There's such an invitation for us, all of us, to return home. And Jesus is the way that we get there. I, I want to give you a couple truths. I don't know where, like I said, I don't know where you are today or what you've been walking through, but I want you to hear some truths. So if you've, if you've drifted off Come back for a minute, all right? I got you, most of you. Quit thinking about the Bosa Donuts. They'll be there. We got plenty. Here's the first thing I want you to hear, and I want you to see in the Easter story, is that you are a child of God. You're a child of God. You're a son or a daughter of the all-powerful God of the universe. You're a child of God. Number two, I want you to hear this, that you are, you are forgiven. You are not condemned because of what Christ did. Like, you don't have to work your way back to God. Jesus did everything that was necessary for you to be made at peace with him. Are you with me? Like, you are forgiven. You're not condemned. In fact, the, the Bible verse that most of us know, we've heard it, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You remember this one? And whoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. The very next verse says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. But to save it. To save me and to save you. And the third thing is this. You can be made new in Christ. Christ. 
I mean, can you imagine, two sides to this, can you imagine the son who had rehearsed the speech, who had blown all the father's money, who had embarrassed him, who made a mess of his life, can you imagine the life that he lived knowing that he had been accepted by the father? Can you imagine how different his life was? Sometimes I wanna know that. Well, what did the younger son do? Like, how did he live? Like in the story, like what took place then? I can only imagine how different he was, how changed. Can you imagine how different his life would have been after his father picked him up and brought him in and threw a party for him? Threw a party for him. Are you kidding? That sounds like a ridiculous God. It's a loving God, a loving father. And the second thing, can you imagine if the older son would have accepted the invitation to the party and would have had if he would have fully embraced what was going on, can you imagine the different kind of life he would have lived, not having to live up to any expectations anymore, but receiving the full love and grace of the Heavenly Father? Can you imagine? We can be made new in Christ. When we step into this invitation, when we receive it, like it's just everything begins to change. Um, I want to lead us in a prayer, and it's a simple prayer. It's a prayer for all the lost, and it's a prayer for everyone who wanders off and comes to some realization of, oh my goodness, how did I get here? This isn't how I imagined life would be. It's a prayer for, for those of us who wander in that direction. It's a prayer for those of us who wander out to the fields and try to work our way back to God. And it's, um, it's just two slides, and I want to invite you to pray this with me. I think it's a prayer we all need, to be honest, to thank God for what he did at Easter, um, to thank him for not giving up on us. Aren't you so glad God never gave up on you? Aren't you glad he hasn't given up on you yet? Don't nudge the people next to you like you. Aren't you glad, aren't you glad he didn't give up on you? So if you want to say this prayer with me, um, I invite you to say it with me. God, I often wander off pursuing life on my own. Thank you for coming after me. And thank you for not giving up on me. Father God, I want to come home. I want to know your love and your life. Restore me and transform me through Christ. Now, Prayers like this are interesting because they're, they're not magical. They're positional. They position us before God in a thankful and open manner. And they have the power to move us into a new direction. And so... I hope this prayer isn't just something that we say, that we repeat. But I hope this prayer would be something that positions us to an open place before God the Father. And that we would experience an unbelievable homecoming as he surrounds us with his love and his grace. Um, every now and then as a church, we do a Bible reading plan together. And I have a sh super short one, four days. And it's called New Life in Christ. And this is the link. We'll post this today. So if 
you don't want to take a picture or write it down, you don't have to. It's just bit.ly slash Easter. Four-day reading plan of what does it mean to have new life in Christ. I'd invite you just to read along with us. If you have questions, you can ask. And For some in the room, you would love to come home, but you're not sure where to find home. And I want to give you this prayer. You can write this down. You can take a picture if you want. Um, it's a simple uh, it's a simple prayer that I want to encourage you to pray. If this is you, if you're seeking, I want to encourage you to pray every day for maybe 30 days, the next 30 days. God, if I really am your child, help me to know your presence and your love as I seek you. Here's what I believe with everything I am is that if we will seek God, we will find him. Because God is not hiding. He has not set up a maze for us to figure out. Aren't you glad he didn't set up a maze for you to figure out? Like God says in his word, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. And so maybe for you on your journey, this would be your prayer for the next 30 days. God, if, if I really am your child, I pray that I would know your presence and your love as I seek you. Would you stand, and we're gonna sing one last song um, to declare the truth of Easter. God, you, um, you're amazing. Uh, our words can't even begin to express the kind of love and compassion and grace and mercy and hope and peace that you have for us. But this Easter story this proclamation, this demonstration of your love for each one of us. God, I pray that it would settle into our hearts and into our souls. And I pray that we would be welcomed home as we turn back to you.